Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. Glad you joined us again for another session together of Searching the Scriptures as we seek to put a correct definition on the most famous phrase in the teaching of Jesus, the one that underlies all of his teaching. It is, so to speak, the term in which the genius of the Christian faith is concentrated. If we open a Bible at the beginning of Matthew, we can gain a sense of the massive importance of the kingdom of God in biblical Christianity as Jesus taught it. We only have to quote some of the many verses in which Jesus spoke of it. And, of course, the term kingdom of heaven is interchangeable with the term kingdom of God. These are alternative ways of describing exactly the same thing. There's absolutely no difference at all in the New Testament between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. These are simply different ways of describing the same reality of the kingdom. In Matthew 4, verse 23, we read that Jesus traveled through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and heralding or proclaiming the gospel about the kingdom. Now, what was that kingdom? Well, the kingdom of God, of course, was the national hope of Israel when Jesus began to preach. The kingdom of God was the great hope of the future that had been set before the Israelite people by the prophets, their own Hebrew prophets, what we call the prophets of the Old Testament. And those prophets had all foreseen a time coming in the future when God would intervene decisively to alter the course of political events on the earth finally and forever. And in so doing, he would establish his kingdom using the Messiah as his agent to completely transform the political arrangements that we now see on earth. And God was going to introduce the kingdom of God by sending the Messiah in power and glory. And the Messiah was then going to reign on a restored throne of David in Jerusalem. There are just so many verses in the New Testament which give us this basic Jewish outline of the Christian faith as it's presented to us in our New Testament documents. Right from the very start of the life of Jesus, for example, even before he was born, the angel Gabriel in Luke 1, verse 32, comes to Mary and announces that her son is going to have the throne of David given to him. He's going to inherit the throne of his father David and rule over the house of Jacob forever. Now, there really was no difficulty at all in understanding that concept of the kingdom. It was indeed the time when God would intervene to change the political structures of our earth decisively and once and for all. At that time, then, God would introduce an era of unparalleled peace and prosperity, and this would permanently affect the way in which we run the world. There would be disarmament, there would be international agreement, and peace would stretch across the earth in a way unknown throughout the history of man up to that point. All of that then was the utopia of the future hoped for by all the pious people of Israel at the time when Jesus began to preach. Now, as we trace the sayings about the kingdom of God found scattered throughout the Gospels, a very clear picture of the kingdom of God emerges. In Matthew 8, verses 11 and 12, Jesus said this, I tell you that many will come from the east and from the west, and will take their seats with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, while the natural heirs of the kingdom, 
will be driven out into the darkness outside. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, obviously, there, there are two destinies set before the people. Either they sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs, the faithful of the olden days, or they will be thrown out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, that event clearly has not happened. It's what is popular and known, perhaps, as Judgment Day. And so the kingdom of God, then, is that glorious state of affairs to be ushered in by the second coming of Jesus. Again, in Matthew 9.35, we have another statement summarizing the mission and ministry of Jesus. Matthew 9.35 says this, And Jesus went around all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and heralding the gospel about the kingdom. In Matthew 13, verse 10, Jesus told the disciples that, that they were the privileged few, the inner circle, who had been allowed to see the secrets, that's to say, God's plans in regard to the kingdom. To you disciples, Jesus said, it is granted to know the secrets of the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, but to those who are outside, they have no understanding of the kingdom of God. And so the knowledge and understanding of the kingdom of God distinguished for Jesus between those who were really following him and those who were not following him. In Matthew 13:19, Jesus made a remarkable statement. He said that when anybody hears the message or word concerning the kingdom, the devil tries to snatch away that information which has been sown in his heart. And the parallel verse in Luke 8:12 adds this interesting piece of information. The devil comes and snatches away the knowledge of the kingdom from the heart of the potential convert so that he may not believe it and be saved. And so understanding and knowledge of the kingdom of God, a grasp of the secrets of the kingdom of God, is obviously related to the question of salvation. You'll find that remarkable statement of Jesus in Matthew 13:19, and its parallel in Luke 8, verse 12. In Matthew 6:33, Jesus made his famous remark about seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And in that same chapter 6 of Matthew, we shouldn't forget the even more famous statement of Jesus when he said that we're to pray, Thy kingdom come. And in the same breath he had said that God's name was going to be hallowed and sanctified. And so these first two famous lines of the Lord's Prayer really amount to the same thing in two different forms. Hallowed be your name is a prayer that God's name would be recognized and held in awe and reverence throughout the whole world. And in the same breath, Jesus says, Thy kingdom come. O God, manifest yourself in the world by establishing your great kingdom and placing the Messiah as world ruler in Jerusalem. That's the essence of the Jewish idea lying behind the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 13, 41, there's another reference of Jesus to the second coming. In that verse, Matthew 13, 41, he said, The Son of Man, and that was himself, of course, will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all who violate his laws, and these they will throw into the fiery furnace. A terrible destruction, then, awaits those who refuse to acknowledge the kingdom of God. At that same time, in Matthew 13:43, Jesus made this remarkable statement. Then he said, at that time, the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Listen, everyone who has ears to hear.
And there Jesus was quoting a verse from Daniel 12 and verse 3, where Daniel, in those amazing visions that he was given by God, had seen a time when the righteous would shine like the sun in their father's kingdom, in the kingdom of God, that is. And that's a time then when the Christians of all the ages, the faithful of all the ages, will be immortalized and they will have faces shining like the strength of the sun as they take their immortal bodies and prepare to rule and reign with Christ for the thousand years and for the ages following. Now, Jesus warned that entrance into the kingdom of God at his return is difficult if we have other things in this life which are more attractive to us than putting the kingdom of God as our first priority. In Matthew 19, verse 20, Jesus said, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And then later in Matthew 20, verse 21, the mother of James and John came to Jesus and she asked that he would command that her two sons could sit one at his right hand and one at his left hand in the coming kingdom. And Jesus did not say that that was a wrong ambition in itself. It was just that those places of prominence in the kingdom had been prepared for those whom God had in mind. And so it wasn't for Jesus to decide exactly who sat where and in what position in the kingdom of God, but the idea of being in the kingdom of God, of being rulers, in fact, in the kingdom of God, was not wrong. Jesus merely said that it was not for him to decide what positions would be allotted to which persons. In Matthew 26:29, Jesus again looked forward to the kingdom of God as the great event of the future. I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine, Jesus said, until the day that I drink the new wine with you in my Father's kingdom. And so the kingdom of God there, as it did in these other verses we've been reading, belongs to a great day in the future. He would not drink of that wine of the communion until he drinks it one day in that future day when the kingdom of God comes. Matthew 24:14 refers to the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus said there, This gospel about the kingdom will be heralded throughout the whole world to set the evidence for it before the nations, and then the end will come. Now that brief survey of the Matthew kingdom texts gives us a very clear idea about the kingdom. It's the great event of the future associated with the second coming. Exactly the same thing is found in Luke's account of Jesus' ministry. In Luke 4.43, Jesus summed up the whole reason why he was preaching. He said there, I must proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because for this purpose I was sent. Is that our purpose also as Christians? If we're following Jesus, wouldn't it make sense that we would be following the same purpose that drove his mission and ministry, namely to preach the gospel of the kingdom? In Luke 8, 1, shortly after this we read, Jesus visited town after town and village after village, proclaiming the gospel message of the kingdom of God. In Luke 9, 2, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to cure the sick. And then in Luke 9, verse 11, we have a typical statement about the characteristic preaching and teaching of Jesus. The thing that he customarily did when he talked to people was this. He received them in a kindly way, and he began to talk to them about the kingdom of God. Luke 9, verse 11. And then in Luke 9, 60, 
Jesus said to one of those potential converts who came to him to learn about the kingdom, he said, leave the dead to bury their dead, but you go and announce far and wide the kingdom of God. And so there's the basis then of good discipleship, that we ourselves become kingdom preachers. In Luke 12:32, Jesus comforted his followers with the following words. He said, don't be afraid, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In Luke 21, verse 31, Jesus said to the Christians that when they see all these things happening, that's to say the events surrounding the return of Jesus to this earth, then you may be sure that the kingdom of God is about to come. Luke 21, verse 31. Finally then in Luke 22, verse 28, we have a magnificent statement of how Jesus saw the future opening up before him. He said to his disciples, You, however, have remained with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father has assigned to me, a kingdom, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones to govern the twelve tribes of Israel. We leave you with those remarkable words of Jesus echoing in our ears. Remember that Jesus was a Jew whose teaching must be understood in his own first century context. We must beware of reading our own assumptions and traditions and prejudices into the Bible. We want to read the truth of what Jesus taught straight out of the Bible itself. Invite you to join us again as we continue to probe these most vital and basic questions about life and immortality as Jesus offers it to us in his good news about the kingdom of God.